Well, good morning, church. My name is Tim Power. I'm the pastor of Modern Worship here, and I just want to welcome you and thank you for being here. Uh, we had Sean, Sean McIntyre preach last week. How do you do? So I asked somebody, yeah, you can clap for Sean, it's okay. Um, he's not here this morning, he's, he's preaching down at the Connection. Um, but uh, so he, he, he preached and I was asking somebody, so how'd it go, how did Sean do? And they, they said, oh, it had to be in his top ten sermons. And I said, that's funny because he's only preached five. So it must have been really bad. So we are in a sermon series right now called I Am. Um, and Jesus oftentimes... When he was giving sermons or teaching his disciples, he would say different statements of I am. And so we've gone through a couple of these in the past weeks. We started with I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then last week, Sean talked about I am the vine. Okay? And this week, we're going to go again with these I am statements. We think it's very important because have you ever been in a conversation and, and somebody says, what do you do? They're asking you something. They're asking you about your identity. They're trying to get you to, to identify what makes you, you. And so we do this all the time. And sometimes we identify ourselves by being a parent or by the person you're married to. Or sometimes people identify themselves according to what they do, their career. And Jesus identified himself, and it says some very, very deep, important things, not only about who he is, but who we are to be if we're to follow and to emulate the life of Jesus. So I want to start by reading a passage of Scripture from John 6. Now, just to set this up, we had, we had, we've read out of John 6 not that long ago when we talked about Jesus feeding the 5,000. And this is an interesting passage of Scripture because this is right after Jesus fed the 5,000. That kind of sets it up a little bit so you understand why they're saying the things they are. But I'm going to start in chapter 6, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him. These are the people that have been following Jesus around, and he just fed these people um, and, and performed a, a huge miracle, okay? That was just before this. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked, what must we do, uh, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? Guys, he just performed a miracle. He just fed 5,000 people, and this is what they're asking. What sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. 
whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Do you know that we live in a hungry world? We live in a very, very hungry world. In fact, maybe a starving world. And I'm not just talking about places where they have physical needs for hunger. And that is very real. But have you ever seen Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Where, where you're going through, you start out at your basic level of, of food and shelter. And then as it goes up, do you know what the top level is? Self-actualization, I believe it is. And, and this, this is basically a, another way of saying um, hungering after a spiritual reality, so some kind of spiritual core metaphysical truth, some kind of happiness that only comes from truth, okay? But our world is starving for this, even in the places where we have everything we need. When we have food, more than enough to go around, like they were just saying, people are still starving, um, there's some interesting work being done by uh, Angus Deaton, who is a Princeton economist. Economist, and what he has been talking about, he coined a new term. And maybe if 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 if, if you watch the news, you've heard this term. It's it's called deaths of despair. Okay, it's it's a new term, and what it is is they, we've seen sharp rises in really about the last two decades of what are called deaths of despair. And deaths of despair are Three things are basically it's deaths due to suicide, deaths due to alcohol abuse, and deaths due to substance abuse, such as the opioid crisis that we are facing as a nation. So these are deaths of despair. And Angus Deaton has seen that these have been rising. And you know where they're rising? They're not just rising in one group. They're rising over everybody across economic socioeconomic boundaries, across race, across gender. These are raising, rising in North America specifically. And people have been trying to figure out why is this? Why are these, these suicide rates and, and these deaths of despair happening at higher and higher rates? Well, Angus Deaton says that it's this. He says, deaths of despair are a failure of spiritual and social life that drive people to suicide and addiction. Failure of spiritual and social life that drive people to suicide and addiction. We're starving to death. We're starving to death as a culture because we're hungering for a truth that we can't find. We're hungering for a truth that we can't find. It's really fascinating when I read this passage in John. What were they doing? They were coming to Jesus after he had fed them. And they're asking for more what? More bread, right? They're looking for more bread because they knew that Jesus could give it to them. Um, something interesting, to put yourself in this historical context, um, most people here probably don't spend most of their income on their stomach. Most, most people in, in our culture do not spend a majority of their income on, on what they eat. However, at this time in Palestine, 85% of people's income was spent on their food. That's a lot, right? 85% of what you earned went towards getting bread, okay? And at that time, bread was an entree. Who here has gone to a steakhouse and ordered the bread? The bread's free, right? Even if you go to who has ever gone to uh, Sykeston, Missouri and gone to Home of the Throat Rolls? House of the Throat Rolls, is that what it is? Yeah, who goes there and orders bread? It's famous for bread, and yet the bread is free, isn't it? 
That's very, very different than it was in the Jewish culture at the time. Bread was your main dish. Bread was what you ate. And Jesus is telling them something very, very interesting. He's saying, you're coming to me, and you're asking me to do this, to give you more bread. Now, if you put yourself in, in the, their context, what are they really asking for? They're basically, they found this guy who's a good meal ticket, isn't he? He gives free bread. And if you spend 85% of your resources on that, that's a pretty good deal if this guy can just give it anytime he wants. But Jesus says something really, really interesting. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Do you see what Jesus is saying? I think this is so fascinating. Jesus is saying, I do not want to feed you. I want to fill you. Jesus is saying, I don't just want to give you stuff. I want to be the thing that fills you up. I want to be the thing that you look to. Now, I think the reason we see this failure of spiritual and social life in our culture is for a couple things. But one of the things is we're eating a lot of false food. You could eat three square meals a day, but if it's sand, it's probably not going to do too much, is it? So we are eating a lot of false food because what do people try to put at the top of the hierarchy of needs? I think in our culture, in North American culture right now, we're eating money. We're trying to fill up on money. We're trying to fill up on power. We're trying to fill up on status. We're trying to fill up on sex. We're trying to fill up on substances, entertainments, careers. What we think defines us. That's what we're filling ourselves with, and it's like we're eating sand. And we wonder why, even though we've filled up all those other needs, we're killing ourselves. We had all of the things we need to stay alive, and, and yet suicide rates are, are sky high. It's because we're eating the wrong kind of food. It's interesting um, in the Old Testament, they, they, they talked about uh, how in the Old Testament, uh, you, know, you might, might have heard the story of manna. Basically, the, the children of Israel were out. Uh, they, they had just gotten out of Egypt. Okay? They were enslaved for a long time in Egypt. And when they were taken out, um, they, they had no food in the desert while they were wandering. And for 40 years, bread would appear on the ground. Okay? Bread would appear on the ground. It was a miracle. It was an amazing thing. And yet, constantly, we see the, the children of Israel complaining. We, we, saw, we saw, actually, all these miracles that got them out of Egypt. God did perform so many miracles. And, and just as they're out of Egypt, Moses goes up on a, on a mountain. And while he's up on the mountain, you know what they do? They actually start worshiping other gods. They start eating false food. Because why? Because they were like, well, where's God now? And then for 40 years, he gives them bread. And you know what they do? They complain that all they get is bread. Miraculous bread that shows up every morning for nothing. And yet they complain about the bread. And how much is this, how, 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 how much is that like us sometimes, right? That, that God has done so much for us. That God does so much for us. And yet we're always saying, 
well, what have you done lately? Yeah, yeah, you did this miracle for me yesterday, but where are you today? Because maybe what we're looking for is we're looking for a God that will give us things when we should be looking for a relationship that transforms everything. A relationship with a real God that transforms everything, that gives life. See, Jesus does not just want to feed us. He wants to fill us. There's something also interesting, I think, about this. In that it's not just about me and Jesus. Jesus talks a lot about the kingdom. When he was on earth, he, he, he preached about the kingdom of God. He didn't just talk about me and my personal relationship with God. In fact, uh, one of the things that uh, Angus Deaton says has changed in American spiritual life that has, has been one of the, the, one of the consequences is all of this suicide and addiction that we see that is killing so many people. He said one thing that has changed is we, we tend to have a personal spiritual life as opposed to what we used to have was a communal spiritual life. We used to have a communal spiritual life, and now people tend to either say, well, I have a, my own personal spirituality that is just me and my understanding of God. Or in the evangelical community, for instance, we have a lot of people who it's all about them, and they, they got saved. They found Jesus and that's good enough. But what God calls us into is a community. And there's an interesting passage in Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47. Listen to this. This is the early church just after the Holy Spirit has come. And this is, this is what life looked like in the early church. It says, every day they met together in the temple and they ate in their homes. They shared food and glad- with gladness and simplicity. They praised God and they demonstrated God's goodness to everyone. The Lord added daily to the community who were being saved. To the community, he added daily. And what did they do? What, what, what was one of the things that they did together? They broke what? Bread. They broke bread. Part of what this means to be a follower of Jesus, to have this bread of life, is not just for you, but it's for your community. It's breaking bread with other people. There's an interesting um, uh, project out of Harvard University called the Family Dinner Project. Uh, what they had found was some sociologists at Harvard had found that family dinners have a huge impact on people's lives. Huge impact. In fact, if you get nothing else out of the sermon today, know this. The best thing you can do if you're a parent is to eat dinner with your family. As often as possible, eat dinner with your family. That seems like a very, very simple thing, right? But so many of us don't do it. So many of us have very, very busy lives. But listen to this. What what they found at Harvard was that families that eat dinner together, the children have better academic performance. The families have higher sense of self-esteem, a greater sense of resilience, lower risk of substance abuse, lower risk of teen pregnancy, lower risk of depression, lower likelihood of developing eating disorders, and lower rates of obesity. Those are big things that all come from eating together, right? That's huge because we are called not not into just a me and Jesus relationship. We're called to be the church. We're called to be a kingdom. You know, Jesus also says at one point um, 
The kingdom of God is like a party. What do you do at a party? You eat, right? You eat with people. You do. You have fun with people. If you have a party that's just you, that's a pretty lame party. I'm sorry. You might be the coolest person on earth, but that's a lame party. The kingdom of God is not just about you and Jesus. It's about all of us together following Jesus, eating the bread of life, being filled with, yes, our relationship with him, but also our relationships with one another that give life. I want you for just a second, as, as not awkwardly as possible, look around the room. I know, it's already awkward. One time I went to a pastor's conference, and this was the, the most awkward moment I ever had in my life. Um, we were told this was an exercise. One of these uh, speakers came and did, and I promise you, I will never do this here. I will never do this, but they said, find a stranger in the room, and I want you to look into their eyes lovingly for a minute and a half. For real, they, they did that. And it, uh, I, I had to be there, and I did it. I did it with somebody I'd never met before, and I hope I never see again. Um, and then the minute and a half is up, and then they go, now the other person does it. it was, oh, it's terrible. The reason I wanted you to look around the room is because of this. There is somebody in this room that needs you. The whole idea of us being a community is that there's people in this room that need you. And I'm talking to every single person in this room. You might be a visitor here. I'll bet there's somebody in this room that needs something that you contribute to this place. There's somebody in this room that I need. There's somebody whose wisdom I need, whose resources I need. That's the idea of a community is that we need each other. There might be a child in this community that needs you as their spiritual mentor. There might be somebody who, who needs somebody to talk to, who's in a desperate place but doesn't know that you're available and that you've got wisdom to share, that, that you have something to share with this community. Because it's not just about you and Jesus. It really is about you and Jesus, but it's not just about you and Jesus. It's about being a part of a community that gives life. It's not just about getting fed. It's about being filled. Do you guys see, if you were here last week, Sean, Sean did a really cool uh, uh, demonstration, basically, about overflowing when you're connected to Jesus, how it's an overflowing. It's the same thing. When we're filled, it gives us an opportunity that we're not just coming desperate every single week. I need to go to church to get my fix. I need to go for me. You go because you know God needs me there because my community needs me. I tell you, that is true. I would not say you need to come to this church because you need what we have to give, but because we need what you have to give. God gives us life, but then that gives us an opportunity to pour that out. It gives us an opportunity when we felt the love of Jesus to give that out. Isn't that an amazing thing? Isn't that a beautiful thing? Jesus does not just want to feed us. He wants to fill us, and then he wants us to live in light of that. It's an amazing thing that God feeds us, that God fills us, and that brings us to this table.
what we call a holy mystery. That we can take of this cup, we can take of this bread. A little bit later on in this passage, Jesus actually tells the people. Sometimes Jesus liked to mess with people. Did you know that? I mean, we think of Jesus, oh, he's so kind, he's so loving. He is, but he also likes to mess with people. Because later on, in this same passage, he's talking to them, and he's telling them, they're saying, so we need to, if you're the bread of life, what are we supposed to do with that? And he said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. They didn't have communion back then, okay? Jesus was messing with them. He was poking at them. But what he's saying was true. Because not long after he told this to his disciples, that he could be like bread, that he would be like this cup, he went to the cross for us. He offered himself up as a sacrifice. Because you know what? I'm a sinner. Anybody else? <laughs> you are. I didn't know this was such a terrible church. Ah, we're all sinners. And if, if you're not a sinner, this is not for you. You can stay in your seat if you're not a sinner. Because what you're saying when you take this is that, Jesus, I need you. I've sinned. I have fallen short in some area of my life. And if you need proof of that, just look at the world around us, right? If you need proof that there's sin in the world, just look at the world around us and you'll see. It's true. We're fallen. We're broken. And we need a Savior. And what this is, is us saying, Jesus, we need you. And we want something of who you are inside of us. And so first I'm going to pray a prayer of confession and ask if you join me in doing this. Lord, I confess that I'm a sinner, that I have fallen, I have broken, that I need you, and I want you to change me, God. That I do not want to continue in sin, but I want to turn around and repent and move away from sin and move on to the hope of your salvation. And I thank you for what you've done, that you took on my sin and you took on our sin on the cross, that you died, but then you rose again. And when you rose again, Lord God, you made a way for us to know you, to love you, and to live not desperately every day for more food, but to be filled. So, Lord God, I pray that as we take this, you would make these be your body and your blood broken and poured out for us so that we, in turn, could be your body in this world, showing the same kind of love, showing the same kind of self-sacrifice in the way that we live in our everyday. We love you, God, and we thank you. And we pray that you would just bless these and let us be transformed at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask the folks that are going to help me serve, come up now.